Chewbacca hoped he'd gotten it right. Han's aesthetic sense wasn't, well, civilized. But his intentions were sterling. Leia ought to be able to figure that out. She seemed like a genteel female. Welcome to Legends of the New Republic, and Chewbacca is one weird English dude. (laughs) (laughs) I'm David. And this week we're diving into chapter four of of, uh, Trusit Bakura. It was so hard not to laugh at that. (laughs) It's such a weird... I was like, the last thing I expected was Chewbacca to be like some Victorian Englishman when he's not actually talking in uh, Shiriwook. But anyway, I'm David. Welcome to the show. I hope you enjoy it. We are a podcast that is essentially just a book club. We're reading through Legends uh, Star Wars novel starting after Return of the Jedi, and uh, we have begun with Truce at Bakura by Kathy Tires. We are working through chapter four this week, and if we get further, we get further. Uh, I'm <laughs> turning it over to you, Chris. And I'm Chris, a proper British gentleman. Pub, pub, pub. That, that's it. But to do, I, I went with the Chewbacca thing. We were joking about that, and I thought it would work, and it didn't. So don't. <laughs> I could do that voice the whole podcast. Okay, uh, I'm Jason. I've I've been too sick over the last weekend to come up with anything witty. So there you go. We have been plagued by sickness this week. I had food poisoning. Jason had the flu. So. We are a shambling bunch of nerds attempting to record. <laughs> I'm Kat, and I'm not sick, except of, you know, the existence of humans as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you should get on really well with Lucy Rook. Yes. Yes, go ahead. Okay. Hello, I'm the Doctor. Oh, wait, wrong franchise. <laughs> Uh, it, it works out with the British theme we had going for us. I was planning that since last week, and it just <laughs> happened to work out perfectly. That's beautiful. Um, I didn't add that sound effect either. Jay, Jay made that happen. <laughs> I, I, I have a huge collection of sonic screwdrivers, so I just put one up to the mic and <laughs> that's let fantastic. Her rip. I I just added to a whole new level of nerdity today because I ordered uh, parts for a replica. Um, it's called a Graflex. It's like the Luke Skywalker Empire Strikes Back lightsaber. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to put it together and try and install it with electronics over the next couple months. So I've graduated to a whole new level of nerd. <laughs> but is it like, is it combat rated? Because like I have an Ultra Saber and oh, nice. I do use it um, to duel people fairly regularly, which is apparently terrifying because I actually like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they are actually. They do own. They all own their own ultra sabers. There are like fifteen people I know who own them, and we duel each other. But like, I win every single time, and it's getting really frustrating because I've actually had training with swords. (laughs) That's awesome. There's there's apparently a group around here somewhere that does that. So I've just never been one to. I need to get to make it. Sorry, go ahead. No, I need to get my. I'm I'm a theater major and an actor, and I've been putting off getting my union sword training. So I need to actually go <laughs> go out and get your your union sword training. What a yeah, blessing man. that union is. It's a thing. <laughs> I love the actors' union. Let me just say they provide so much opportunities. Support local unions. Um, <laughs> I had the opportunity once to go to a sword union. training. Uh, thing through the theater department at my college, but it conflicted with a biology test I had to take. <laughs> Just skip the biology test. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't have got over well. <laughs> ah, but you... I was like, learn how yeah, to use a sword or continue on the Come path on. to graduating from college, I guess. Learn how I to use a sword, bring a sword to your next biology uh, <laughs> class and be like, I'll I duel you. Would have actually gotten a kick out of that. <laughs> I will duel you for a better grade. <laughs> <laughs> I demand satisfaction in the style of Chewbacca. Could you imagine if you'd been lost to your biology professor? <laughs> You're like, I will do you for a better grade, and he's like, All right, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, to answer <laughs> your question, I am planning to make it like the the hilt itself is just empty, but it's it's pretty sturdy looking. I am planning to install the ability to put uh, like a polycarbonate blade into it, which would be contact worthy um but that's way down the road i've been watching I've, i have like a 10 hour playlist on youtube that i'm slowly working through on how to do this <laughs> so 
Um, I don't think I actually got to say it, but I'm Jay, aka Sharkray24. Sadly not Sorry, the do- Jay. Sadly not the doctor. Maybe one day, who knows? <laughs> you never know. There's always I hope. would rather be Captain Jack, to be honest. <laughs> God, I love that man. I love that man. So do I. So much. I, wanna... I want them to do a crossover with Star Wars. <laughs> I would love to be like the first non-binary doctor. I just want um a a road tripping style movie with Captain Jack and Han Solo. <laughs> yes. Yes. Leia Leia becomes the doctor's new companion and Han Solo is like that's my wife and Captain Jack is like yeah, that's his wife. And also, I'm in love with the doctor. You can't have him and or her. <laughs> Big love quadrangle going on. <laughs> hey, hey, that's what this is for. <laughs> bad Speaking joke. Speaking of Han and Leia. Bad joke. Bad joke, I admit. Bad joke. Speaking of Han and Leia, last week we left off with them romantically flailing and falling over in the back of the Millennium Falcon. In fact, they went down flailing is the last phrase in the chapter. And so we pick up this week with Chewbacca in the cockpit being British. Um, And the best wingman ever. Yes. So Chewbacca built this love nest and he tried (laughs) as his best (laughs) to do it in such a way that it wouldn't offend Han and would still actually work. And it seems like it did, so, you know, thumbs up to him. Meanwhile, 3PO is prattling on about nothing behind Chewbacca. In fact, I'm stealing the the dialogue here because it says he's prattling behind him. And uh, my dog just dropped a bone really hard in the other room. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he's he's got this little, like, bone, and sometimes he's just like, I'm just going to drop this on the floor. Uh, so Chewbacca's basically up front trying to keep track of the battle, but he's forgetting after so long. He, he can't keep track of which blip on the radar is or on the sensors is supposed to be Luke's cruiser, the Flurry. So he's just sort of like watching for the sake of watching while Chewbacca, or excuse me, while 3PO is just sort of rattling on behind him. And then, weirdly, 3PO actually does something super useful and everyone is still mad at him. Because Chewbacca's tuning through the radio, basically, and 3PO's like, wait, go back. Uh, and Chewbacca gets mad at him, and he's like, no, 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 hang on a minute, I hear something. And what he hears is uh, droid interference, and he detects um, what is essentially a squad of c Ruby droid fighters that are there. And he's the only one that notices this. They would have been caught completely by surprise if 3PO hadn't noticed it. And yet somehow... When they go to man the guns and acknowledge that he is correct, everyone's still mad at 3PO. <laughs> it's, well, I mean, okay, I get this at work a lot. My manager will jokingly get upset at me for finding mistakes. At, and he'll be like, oh, that's just more work for me to do, Jay. Come on, work with me here. So I feel I feel like it's it's that kind of sentiment. I don't well, think at least to Han and Leia's point, they're just mad because he has once again butted into their romantic moment. <laughs> right as things are getting good, he pops up on the radio and he calls them and Han literally just says, I knew it. Actually, no, that's Leia that's like, oh, I knew it. <laughs> just imagine, I just had this mental picture come to mind of Han Solo with young little Kylo Ren. And, and then Kylo Ren asks... Hey, Daddy, where do babies come from? <laughs> and a very awkward Han says, Oh, well, uh, well, you see, son, when a man and a woman love each other very much, they uh, they get a Wookiee to make <laughs> a little nest for them. Let's <laughs> <laughs> stop it. When a man and a woman love each other very much, they get a Wookiee. <laughs> uh. They get a Wookiee to... Uh, I mean, honestly, I would take that over the reality. I, I feel like I feel like if that were to occur, then then uh, Han and Leia's children would then go and ask Leia, and she would be like, "From the stress of politics, <laughs> they just come from the stress of politics." No, Leia would just be that that annoyed parent, probably on her fifteenth cup of coffee. 
who <laughs> is thinking to herself, Han said he would watch the kids for me this weekend. Why are they here when I'm on business? And they ask her and she just, she just loses it. She's like, they f- okay, people. F- <laughs> Oof. I don't want to think about the scarring those children would have now. Okay, but like Jason, Jaina, and Ben all have emotional scarring before they're like six anyhow. So I mean, if you are a Skywalker, you're going that's yeah, you don't have happens. a choice other yeah. than to get emotionally scarred. I mean Luke was <laughs> most Luke likely was pretty good. Good. in this in this canon, Han is actually a really good dad. He is. He is the perfect trophy husband, and I respect him. <laughs> Lounging in by his feet. <laughs> I, I still feel like he would be extremely awkward when trying to give the talk, though. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> so finally, when they when they realize that 3PO is correct and there's a bunch of droids, they jump into the gunships or the, the gun turrets. And uh, we have a, an action scene where they're trying to blow up the fighters. It's very reminiscent of the TIE fighter attack in A New Hope. Um, and they just they, they use it as a chance to kind of build up the Sea Ruby battle droids as, as dangerous. Because they're, they're faster, they have shields, they learn patterns quickly, and it's really hard for um, the Falcon to catch up and, and kill these things. But it turns out the only reason that they're really able to keep up as well as they are is that the droids are definitely trying to disable the ship and not destroy it um, so that they can uh, take prisoners. And I, I thought it was funny that Han compares them. He's like, oh man, these things are almost as durable as a TIE fighter. And I'm like, TIE fighters are not exactly the Star Wars standard of durable spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> they they really kind of aren't. break if you look at them the wrong way. <laughs> So something that kind of stuck out to me with that was with the Ciruvi, we had we kind of had that talk last week about mm-hmm. why put human souls into a droid. And the pattern recognition is what sticks out to me. Because in the real world, AI, no matter how advanced it is, is horrible at pattern recognition. Right. It's it's the human brain that really is good at pattern recognition to a point there it's it's almost a fault where we find patterns where they there may not even be any show of hands yeah. who just realized that they are apparently a droid um, <laughs> can i, well, I mean, that part so, out of the quiz so, <laughs> so i'm i'm not sure how far that science was known at the time that this book was written but it it's it, it to me it gives the ceruvi Another reason, other than the quote-unquote prolonged battery life, to be putting, yeah. to be mixing well, human and machine like that. Well, and also even in universe, you can kind of make the argument that droids have always had kind of garbage programming because if you go back to like the Clone Wars, you're like, oh yeah, like <laughs> these guys are idiots. So like you could be like, yeah, it's basically just a firmware update, and that's roger, it. Roger. And like that would yeah, make exactly. sense. <laughs> Well I, mean, well, I mean, that's sort of the, like, canon line, even in Legends, was sort of, the Clone Wars was a fight between the clones, who were much fewer in number than the droids, because, I mean, you gotta grow them for ten years, and that's a pretty truncated production schedule, even. But you can crank out as many battle droids as you want. And But the clones could outthink and outfight the droids, so it was sort of numbers versus training. And I had something, but I've, I've completely lost it now. Oh, I'm sorry. No, oh, I remember. Uh, another another factor of Star Wars lore that I find extremely interesting is the fact that there are Force-sensitive droids. Yes, yeah, so that's a weird thing, because that is very flip-floppy throughout Legends canon, whether that's possible. Uh, I think a lot of early stuff, like I know well, there's in, at in, one point... In the, in the first movie, uh, George Lu- Lucas confirms that the droid that blows up when Luke is about to buy it does that because the droid is force sensitive and it knows that Luke needs R2-D2 and not it. So it basically kamikazes itself for the fate (laughs) of the universe. George Lucas confirmed this. Which is great. I think that's hilarious. Um, The rest of Legends is super inconsistent with it, though, because I know early on there's a scene in the Thrawn books where it, it may just be an accident, but Leia 
or Luke, I think it's Luke, senses C-3PO in the Force coming up the stairs, basically. And we have these droids that have a Force presence mostly just because they have Force, they have people souls stuck into them. Um, but then later on, especially as you get into New Jedi Order, where it kind of becomes a plot point, um, the droids don't have a Force presence. So it's just, they, they play both sides of the fence, depending on what author is writing it. And well, I like to think that the Force and life have a connection to more like what we would consider you know like their sentience so like a droid could have a force presence but who knows well and then you look at like uh like the the jedi training droids and stuff like that and it kind of brings in right, another yeah. aspect of it too i didn't even think about that <laughs> yeah it, it, things get weird when you add space magic <laughs> like i said this is not star wars is not science fiction it is science fantasy oh yeah (laughs) i i do admit i like it when they get a little bit sci-fi and as far as they like try to establish some like i i just really like it when you get those like cutaway books you would get in the 90s where it's like they take like a an atst or something and chop it in half and let you look inside and see all the parts i remember reading that and i was like oh this is so cool it's all completely made up nonsense but it looks like it would work (laughs) <laughs> um let's see so basically after the tie fighter or not tie fighter attack after the sea review battle droid attack they finally fight them off and leia basically just says look your whole point was i can't be part of the battle because i'm important but now i'm part of the battle in a tiny ship far away from the rest of the ships that can help so can we go back to the battle now <laughs> and han kind of shrugs and he's like ah all right <laughs> So they go back to try and meet up with Luke's battle group, and we switch point of views back to Luke, who is really not very good at being a fleet commander. I hate to say it. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He relies entirely on the computer to tell him what to do, and he keeps getting distracted by his micro seizures and the fact that every time one of these battle droids dies, it makes him nauseous because he senses the death through the force. Yeah, that's um, that's that's not a good day. <laughs> that doesn't yeah, he's sound. Not, he's not doing sound... great. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a good first day on the job. This is my question, though. Well, How I do like that... that he feels that death well, through the Force. Because well, my... I feel like as canon went on, it just became very... Like, if, especially if you watch the prequels, the Jedi seem very cavalier towards killing people. And uh, in the, in the you know, the original trilogy, it was slightly more of a big deal. Uh, so I really like that Luke has some kind of actual, like, feedback from the Force when people are dying. Uh, and that it's actually like affecting him. Well, but this is like, this is I, the yeah. question. But this is the question: is is it feedback when people die, or is it just when the Siruvi droids die? Because, assumably, other people have been dying in this battle the entire time since they've showed up. Like he, I like I think he does also feel something when a pilot in one of the X wings dies. Well, and when those pilots die, I think what he says is that he senses that they died. I don't think he felt the same kind of weird. Like from my in my impression of it was right. is that the like the souls and anguish is part of what nauseated him, not the death itself. Like the souls passing was like, oh, okay, cool, that's fine. But like sensing the kind of weird off nature uh-huh. of what the Suruvi had done to make them usable in this way made it like that was what nauseated him more than just the death. Yeah, you're right. You, he says you, he says that, that nauseated them, but here's what it actually says when the pilot dies. So it's, it's different. Because it's unnatural. <laughs> unnatural. Oh. So he says two blasts of painfully familiar human anguish wrenched Luke's spine and stomach as Alliance pilots died. Not Wedge, he confirmed hastily, but they'd been people, someone else's friends. They'll be missed and mourned. And then later on, when the Siruvi things die, he gets a different um, feeling from it. Well, and I would also like to point out, because, you know, you brought up prequel stuff and Jedi being fairly cavalier. I wonder if part of the reason why Luke feels things so keenly, aside from, you know, being a Skywalker and being stupid OP, is um, (laughs) the fact that the Sith presence in the galaxy has been greatly diminished. I mean, even in the original trilogy, um, you'll note that Obi-Wan doesn't really react to deaths around him, uh, except for Alderaan, which would make sense oh, yeah. because first of all, it's a huge number of lives lost. Um, we're talking several billion at least. Um, and second of all, because Obi-Wan was already, um, psychologically focused on 
getting to Alderaan in the first place. So his attention in the Force was already on that planet. Yeah, and I mean, in the movie you watch, it kind of looks like he has like a punch in the gut for a second. Mm -hmm. uh, even before he mentions what's going on. Yeah. <clears throat> so I so wonder anyway, if I just Luke's that was just... An interesting detail. Yeah, and I think yeah. that Luke is probably just having a combination of being hypersensitive to death uh, because he's a Skywalker. Um, and there's no like dark side inflicted fog on force sensitivity at this point. Yeah, I think that's true because um, I didn't even think about that, but they do, especially in Legends prequel novels, talk about... Um, there being a literal like veil of the dark side on the force. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, this is not one we're going to cover on this podcast unless we end up looping all the way back around quite a way. <laughs> but Darth Plagueis by James Lucino is an excellent legends novel set in the prequels that focuses on, um, well, Darth Plagueis, but mostly on Palpatine and Darth Plagueis together. And there's a literal scene where they talk about basically doing a ritual to intentionally try to shift the dark side into prominence and then lower this sort of, supernatural veil over the jedi so they can't see what's going on um and i think that makes a, an interesting case for the fact that right before we see the jedi kind of get the worst they ever were with this like uh really militaristic focus very cavalier attitude towards death and uh everything that the dark side is literally just permeating the force throughout the galaxy and then we hear we have here where presumably that is gone considering that both Vader and Palpatine are dead uh, in Legends, very dead at this point. <laughs> um, and then that veil would presumably be gone. And suddenly like Luke is feeling all these very strong reactions. And I mean, cause he's again, he's not like standing right next to these pilots. He's on a strike cruiser and they're flying out at space distances away from him, attacking something when they get killed. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So, I don't know. It was kind of a I, rabbit trail, but I thought it was super interesting. Well, I, I remember reading, this this thing it was about a one I, I remember it was a legends thing but i don't i didn't read the whole book but it was a quote from a sith lord who used to be a jedi and she described the force as naturally trying to pull force sensitive people towards the dark side whereas if you were a light side jedi you were actively having to fight against that slow pull of the force hmm. uh, uh, towards the dark side. And I found that really interesting to, as you know, cause you know, when you think of the things that the Jedi do, they do things like meditation and uh, lots of, I, I forget if they do any fasting, but they do like those trials where they're locked where they have to get their lightsaber, they're, they're locked in a giant icy cave and they have to get their <laughs> crystal and get out. Right. And so a lot of that disciplinary stuff that the Jedi do, which is completely different from what the Sith do with kind of letting, letting their natural desires and emotions kind of run wild. Right. Kind of lends credence to that idea that the Force naturally is is trying to pull people towards the dark side and that obviously has a lot of the catholic influence on it about you know original sin and how you know people will inherently be drawn towards sin and they have to be disciplined in order to not turn to sin uh well, I think it probably so, so has the, rooted more in Buddhist mysticism, in particular monk trainings well, and that ideology, just because well, you have there, much of the same idea that you have to distance yourself from the world in order to achieve any kind of enlightenment or like spiritual purpose. Well, there and Lucas is that, to but when more you from that side of things, yeah, but there there are a lot of similarities. But e like even in the Catholic Church, there are monks who do the exact same thing. If you look at a, what a Catholic, what what most Catholic monks do compared to what a lot of Buddhist monks do. And this is not just these two religions. This is talking about like all kinds of religions. Shintoism, mm -hmm. almost every religion has some kind of equivalent of this. 
And I think George Lucas has stated he's a he's a he's interested in a lot of different religions, mm-hmm. and he studied a lot of the ways that different religions worked, and kind of yeah, filtered but, a lot of different ones into the Jedi philosophy when he was creating it. Oh yeah, but you know, in so the, it's probably a but case of both and. <laughs> oh well, yeah, but you know, with the original trilogy, like there is so much Catholic influence in there. That makes um, sense. I mean, Yoda yeah. does say at one point the dark side is quicker, easier, and more seductive, so that it feels like lots of people tend towards the dark side um, simply because it's not difficult to give in to those emotions versus kind of purposefully distance yourself from them and, and, and distance yourself from like aggression and anger and stuff. And I, mm, it's it, okay. I had something to say, but it's about Rise of Skywalker, um, and it's kind we of can spoilery. Talk about that. Uh, well then maybe we should wait because this is still pretty fresh for that yeah um well i mean basically there i'm gonna keep this as spoiler free as possible there is a scene in rise of skywalker that kind of shows how easy it is to accidentally tip over into the dark side even Mm -hmm. for just a few moments right and i do think it's interesting that in later on both mostly in new canon i think legends sort of kept the very distinct barriers where the old jedi really believed that once you went dark there was no coming back from it but i like the sort of trend towards sometimes you lose control but you can come back from that like you don't once you go slightly dark that doesn't mean you just have to like start wearing black and find a red crystal like, <laughs> and you have to now. grow to, you well, don't have to grow to six foot four well, and yeah. this is this is actually this is once again kind of off topic a little bit, but I interpret Yoda's words a little differently when he says that because what he actually mm-hmm. says is, um, once you start down the dark path forever, will it dominate your destiny? Basically, my interpretation oh, of that is that light and dark are kind of more like um, providence in the world, in that one is pulling like, but in in different moral modes, one is pulling towards darkness and destruction and evil, and one is trying to pull you towards good. And so once you start down darkness, even if you try and leave that, that has gotten a piece of you and will continue to take you down those paths, regardless of where you currently are, like internally, you've still started down that path and that path will have its way with you. That makes sense. That's actually really fascinating. I could talk force theory forever because it's so interesting to me. <laughs> oh, no, I, I love force theory. It is. We're going to get into some weird stuff if we get further into the weeds, like uh in canon or in legends where like ugh, i I just there i know there are books where the force theory gets really thick and it gets really confusing and complicated so jen (laughs) sorry chance (laughs) oh (laughs) i was thinking of potentium which one (laughs) jen sorry yo yeah from i jedi Mm -hmm. okay that'll be interesting i'm looking forward to that one not to mention it's corn horn yeah So back in the battle over Bakura, uh, Han comes in to save Luke as uh, Luke has accidentally overextended his fighter screen and left the flurry completely exposed. Uh, a plus Luke job, a fleet commander. <laughs> I don't yeah, know why they thought that putting a fighter commander who has no experience on the bridge of a ship in command of a battle group was a good idea, but they did. I guess General Kenobi has the orders. <laughs> I still, uh, so I still Luke stand gets behind. His whole crew killed. I still and stand Han behind. comes in to save the day. I still stand behind. It would be the coolest thing ever if the Jedi actually had a ghost hierarchy that they had to like <laughs> commune with to get their orders. That would be great. You know, that would be an awesome RPG idea to run into a planet run by Force ghosts. <laughs> it would well, also and be I mean, fun. it's not like. Go ahead. It would also be fun to have like a warlock or somebody whose like pact was with a ghost council or something like that, where they were like, "Yeah, before I could do anything, I've kind of got to talk to these guys first. Sorry, be right back." Oh, I have so many ideas. That's cool. Anyway, Cat, what were you gonna say? I was just gonna say that uh, the the whole ghost hierarchy would uh, be an excellent plot line for an additional legends book. You know. Uh, especially once more Skywalkers are dead and you have to figure out where where they fall into the hierarchy. Uh, I mean, we get a little bit of the ghost hierarchy when we get into, um, it's like the very end of Legends canon. There's a comic Mm -hmm. series called Legacy. And basically the first couple of issues of that book are Luke's drug-addled, dropout Jedi descendant 
constantly like luke's force ghost oh, just yeah. like follows him around gives him drug psas and annoys him he's trying to do the right thing yeah but that <laughs> sounds more like, like a family reunion <laughs> where like your crazy uncle follows you around with a plate that's piled high with potato salad telling like you not to go to college <laughs> it's like that scene in Mulan with all the dead ancestors, except it's like Luke and Anakin and, and all of them just being like gathering around being like, this is your fault. <laughs> when, when when you say ghost hierarchy, I can't help but imagine like all of them in like an office or something. And you know, they're 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 there are ones that are more powerful than others, and then there's Yoda who's seen as one of the most powerful and he's just like some something like so and so my coffee you must get me <laughs> it reminds me of um it's kind of spoilery but for final fantasy 10 how the fact that like the entire upper hierarchy of the church of yevon are like zombie people that have just come back from the dead and decided they want to run a religion And I have killed the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on from Ghost Hierarchies and uh, Parks and Recreation remake, but with the Jedi Council, that's all dead. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly... That sounds like an SNL skit. That That sounds sounds great. I would watch that show. That sounds like an amazing Disney Plus spinoff show. Ron Swanson is just Mace Windu grimacing in his office all day. I grant you, you can have a seat on this council, but I do not grant you the rank of master. Oh. Obi-Wan walking around as Leslie Nope. I was going to say, there would definitely be an Obi-Wan as Leslie. (laughs) Obi-Wan, he's going to be my Padawan, whether you like it or not. Yoda in the background, that sounds like a terrible idea, but okay. I feel like this would make Anakin Tom Haverford. <laughs> I just want to see Samuel Jackson say his famous line from Avengers, but talking about the Jedi Council. <laughs> I recognize that the Council has made a decision, but seeing as it is a stupid-ass decision, I have decided to not go forward with it. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's very much... That's that's perfect. <clears throat> but so, anyway, regardless... <laughs> Welcome to Legends of the Rabbit Hole. <laughs> You're not the wrong. The podcast that's... that will never finish. <laughs> hey, whose fault is it? We didn't have show notes this week. How are we supposed to stay on topic when we don't I, have a structure? I don't think, Sorry, I was I, dying. <laughs> well, I don't think we needed to say that. I'm pretty sure our audience <laughs> gathered that. But I want the audience to know that sometime four. we have show notes. Like, not this time, but sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we have show notes for the chapter we still haven't finished. So you can't even blame it on the lack of show notes. <laughs> uh... Regardless of whether or not uh, dead General Kenobi's appointment of uh, Luke Skywalker as commander and um, the equally bad decision making that led to people agreeing with this choice, um, they did actually like win ish. They did. Um, so Luke calls Peter Thanos or Tara. I don't know how you're supposed to say his name. I think Peter. he said Peter last time. <laughs> So Peter Thanos, he calls him, the Imperial Commander, on the radio, and the Commander accepted his uh, offer of a truce last week. And uh, this time, he basically starts sending tactical information to Luke. So the way that I interpret this is that Luke doesn't know what he's doing, and the Imperial guy is just like, all right, attack here now. Like, I know what I'm doing because I'm actually a fleet commander. Uh, so Luke brings his muscle and well, I mean, Peter brings his experience. I mean, in, in Luke's defense, he's basically the guy in the gif that walks into the into the apartment with some pizza and everything's on fire. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say in Luke's defense, he's just a himbo. Well, that is also true, but it, it's it's hard enough being a commander or a leader without any experience or training. And... It's even harder when everything is on fire. 
I mean, Luke has spent the majority of his life either on a desert, an ice wasteland, or in a swamp. I don't know that he's had a lot of time for formal education. (laughs) (laughs) It's a miracle he can read the computer. Uh, But I love Luke. (laughs) So he, he makes the best of a bad situation, listens to Peter, and attacks the center of the formation of Sea Ruby Cruisers. There's three of them. So he breaks them up so that they can't get to each other, essentially. It sort of just fakes this giant wedge out of his ships. Not to say that... Well, it's going to get confusing if I use that word, because wedge is also leading the attack. With Wedge Oxford. and Tilly's heard that they were going to form a wedge, and he was like, it is my time to shine. <laughs> and they attack with wedge leading the wedge. He was, oh, he was into like, battle this is and my squadron. <laughs> okay, so... Can 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 someone refresh me here? The cruisers are the big ones that carry the other smaller ships, right? Like the Star Destroyers? Mm-hmm. Right. So Luke okay. is basically, I think we decided last time that Luke has essentially uh, the space version of an aircraft carrier with a bunch of X-Wings. And I think he has like two A-Wings and a Y-Wing or something like that on board. But it's mostly X-Wings. Um, and then he also has Corellian. They're not they're not the ships that Leia had in A New Hope. They're not little Corellian corvettes, but they're a little bit smaller than that. They're like a smaller version. Um, so he basically has an escort of two ships, I think, and an aircraft carrier. And I believe the Sea Ruby have three aircraft carriers. Essentially, they have their droid ships. Uh, I thought it was there was five. Oh, gun well, I ships. can't count. <laughs> Yeah, there's five gunships, one one Corvette, and then yes, the cruiser, Jason has saved the day. The, he has many more ships than I thought. <laughs> uh, but he uses these ships to drive a wedge between the three Sea Ruby carriers that are not as well protected once their fighter screen has kind of been occupied, uh, and they blow one of them up. They they blow up one of the Sea Ruby cruisers. Uh, Rogue Squadron gets in a good bombing run, and uh, it goes pop. And at that point, the Sea Ruby decide, all right, we need to back up. <laughs> And they pull back to the edge of the system. So we get to the end of chapter four with Luke worrying that the Imperials are not really going to agree to an actual truce now that the irons, uh, the fire is kind of put out for now. Yeah, the, the sense that I had gotten from like the, the naval combat side of everything was like, you know, it's, it's not a huge amount of power on any side. Like, like uh, the rebels probably have enough firepower to do the job right now if they have a competent you know and knowledgeable <laughs> leader which they don't so it, that's why it's kind of questionable but yeah because it, it seems like the biggest force you know, in the that was kind of the gist that i got rebels, out of it but uh luke isn't really an experienced enough field commander to just kind of finish the job um but he does a competent right. enough job in driving did, them off with help did, from peter it's it's been a while so did they even say what the imperial fleet has i'm assuming they have at least one star destroyer they don't actually i think they they don't even have a karak class cruiser which i know from a video game is very small they don't even it's okay it's about the same size as leia's corvette in a new hope they have a very small ship and a bunch of ground-based fighters okay so this is basically the small imperial outpost that no one ever sends uh oh yeah information this is the backwater of the empire and they don't have a lot to fight off the fact that they haven't completely crumbled in the face of three cruisers is pretty big the the carracks were like a yeah the carracks were like a small they're they're smaller star destroyer but they're they were like they're kind of like the smaller anti starship Mm -hmm. uh uh vessel that was you know not a star destroyer and then like the big thing, the other big thing that the, the Imperials had was yeah. the Lancer frigate, which that was kind of the anti-Starfire primary weapon. That was, you know, they they would use the the Carracks and the Lancers as, as like the the defense around a Star Destroyer to kind of weed out the little ones, so that the Star Destroyers could go toe to toe against you know bigger Moncal cruisers or you know, big heavy duty ships. So the fact that there's only the one carrot cruiser out here, it just, yeah, it shows that it's podunk out in the middle of nowhere. I don't know too many of the of the Star Wars sh- ship names. Like I said, most of my experience comes from the movies and the TV show. Yeah. So it's not like I 
and it's not like I watch those all the time. And right. Yeah, and I don't think that they've ever really shown up in the movies. Like, because in Legends, in Legends canon, like the the you know you hear about lancers and clerics and you know the dreadnought cruisers and all that kind of stuff a lot from from uh, the yeah. Zahn trilogy. I, know, like I said last week, I think a lot that was, of early that was the Legends, big, especially in the nineties was very influenced by the fact that some of the most popular sci-fi at the time was both Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica. So there was a lot of detail and yeah. attention paid to fleet actions and starfighter pilots and making up cool ships and uh, doing a kind of a naval-focused storytelling a lot of the time, which I mean, I love that. My dad was in the Navy, so I think it's cool. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was kind of my jam. So, y'all talking about the, the force and everything, I'm just kind of like, oh, do-do-do. But yeah, we start talking about you know, starship combat and everything. That was I. I, I wore out all oh, the yeah. X-wing games. My first stuff, video so. game was X-wing on a floppy disk, I, uh... and I loved it. <laughs> uh, in fact, I bought it again from Good Old Games at some point and played it. I've got it too. Yeah, uh, I've got. I X-wing haven't played Alliance. that one yet. I never I got, got around a... to that one. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Although I just spend so much time just messing around in the Sims, just building crazy. Oh epic yeah. Fight. Battles and I, stuff. I spent I don't a ton really of mess time around as a child the, trying uh, to prove that you could blow up a Star Destroyer and a Z ninety five headhunter if you rammed it into the Star Destroyer enough. <laughs> nice. I was just I basically I, for some reason apparently I was just desperate to emulate the guy in Return of the Jedi who gets killed blowing up the Super Star Destroyer. I was like, this guy <laughs> is my hero. <laughs> I mean, he had the he had the highest kill count. <laughs> And, of and of a, a single starfighter ever, so. Uh, so I, we've actually made it to chapter five. We have a yeah, few yes. minutes. I don't know if we'll get through all of chapter five, but we can definitely start chapter five, which starts off on the interesting note of meeting Luke's first love interest of Legends canon chronologically. Uh, in the name of, uh, and actually I've been mispronouncing her name for years, so I have to actually look at this. Her name is Imperial Senator Garyl Captison. And I always thought her name was Kapitsin, so that's just right. me being dumb. Um, but she is wiggling her toes on a keyboard. Okay, I will or admit no, I have not... And using a keyboard to make... Yeah, yeah, her feet are admit... outside of her shoes, which is the most relatable thing I've ever seen written <laughs> about women in an office <laughs> environment in the entire Legends canon. So... It's I, I I will admit I did not get this far because the the site I was using for my audiobooks hasn't been working. Um, Sucks. so this is uh, what <laughs> Luke. What is going on in your your little head there? <laughs> I, I I I like I think we talked about it about this at some point, but I know it's gotta be <laughs> up. To have your first kiss be your sister. And it, like, the author definitely showed some of Luke's confused feelings at some point. Look, this is just the rebound girl from Leia. (laughs) You can tell. Well, no, you can tell. She's an imperial Ah, senator. She went to school for this job. She wears a long blue dress. She has... Uh, light brown hair. She has pale skin. She has a strong presence in the force, despite probably not being force sensitive. I mean, essentially, this is discount backwater Leia. I was, <laughs> oh my god, who he's oh. maybe not related to. The oh. first things that she does, Keyword, the first maybe. thing that she does is watch the rain. The second thing that she does is remember how she had stood out in the rain, letting it quote drum on dancing pakta leaves, soak her skin, hair, and clothing, and take a deep breath of damp, soothing Bakuran air. That sounds like so. a f- <laughs> song from the 70s. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That sounds like something you'd see on like a moisturizer commercial or something. No, no, this is this is a proto-manic pixie dream girl. Ayo. <laughs> Yeah, she and she even has a little bit of Padme in her because it says she uh, she won her imperial imperial senatorial post as a youngster, uh, and she's been in politics since that point, basically. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, similar to Leia as well. Yeah, 
Leia even so notes that in a later why, chapter. Uh, why he would rebound onto this person. But she hasn't even met Luke yet. She is currently um, talking to Imperial Governor Narius, who is one of the most mustache twirlingly, obviously evil people. In, in <laughs> I mean, he wears black gloves that have gotten him a reputation for being fastidious. And I was just like, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> why is. Oh, do I need to kink shame this entire book now? Do I need to kink shame this entire book now? His features were heavy except for prissy lips, and he had the imperial swagger down to a science. Sit, he said. This is physically hurting me, David. Oh my god. Jesus Christ, superstar. <laughs> is this is this what you wanted when you said you would get to see my my genuine first reactions to the Star Wars legend? Yeah, this is great. This is, is this, fantastic. Are you entertained? Are you yes. entertained? Yes, we are very entertained. <laughs> it's so also I'm notable. I'm literally so upset. I'm foaming at the mouth. It's also notable. He has a hover chair that's covered in luxurious purple velvet just i am literally <laughs> foaming at the mouth and how upset i am at just this. for bureaucratic meetings like i would and like he to goes know nowhere without his four stormtrooper bodyguards that are constantly and actually they're not stormtroopers they're naval troopers that are constantly following him around gariel says they remind her of beetles uh- See, I'm Leggy sitting here heels. like like they're they're naval forces, and we we are aware of the, what they say about men in the navy. Uh, <laughs> why the f- are they on a starship? <laughs> they're navy. They're not on a starship. They're back on the planet. Okay, well, and well, also- like I said, I haven't read the chapter yet or listened yeah, to so it. They're yet. on the planet. Um, they're actually discussing um, whether or not. So so Orn Belden, who is another senator. Uh, like a planetary senator he's not the imperial senate so the imperial senate is federal and then he's kind of like local government so this guy named orn belden is is talking to uh governor narius and basically saying look the empire isn't giving us a lot to work with we have old facilities old military we've got nothing and then someone comes in and says by the way there's rebels up in orbit and they're also talking about taxes too like they're like oh, yeah. don't raise taxes because um in one district because the the Bakuran government is uh divided into districts similar to what you would expect of like states um mm-hmm. and uh it's noted that in a couple of different districts there have been um armed protests and such going on and riots in the streets and such um that they've been trying to keep under control using local police forces to avoid stormtroopers getting sent in to you know commit genocide because that's chill um whereas there are maybe slightly bad yeah that isn't always their first option they don't no because um one of the goals of the imperial um entire like domination plan is that you don't completely and totally uproot the standing government on planets that are going to be potentially hard to control and um have valuable resources because if you do that you're more likely to get revolutions and such and essentially lose your entire working class to it It feels like almost every star wars movie after the the after revenge of the sith it feels like almost every star wars movie starts with the stormtroopers going out and committing war crimes well, yeah, they <laughs> they still commit war crimes, like that's a thing, but think it's it not always genocide. No, yeah, but think of it as the Roman Empire in space. They go in, they kill all of your people, they take all your stuff, and then they say, hey, would you like to still run what's left? And you can go yes or no, and that's a pretty simple choice for most people. But I mean, one of the things noted um, by Luke's new love interest uh, is that... Um, in order to hold her senatorial position on this planet, um, despite being duly elected and such, she had to spend a year um, at Imperial Center getting mm-hmm. uh, indoctrinated. 
Yes, and Imperial Center is an alternate name used a lot in Legends canon for Coruscant, um, in case you weren't aware of that. So she had to go to Coruscant uh, for a while to get cultural indoctrination. So, definitely some overtones of uh, imperialism, which makes sense for the Empire. Um, this part is probably not going to go on the podcast, but I just want to point out this part at the bottom of the page I'm looking at, where Narius says, covering your tracks, Governor, so if anything else goes wrong, you can finger us. <laughs> what? Oh. What? Oh, snap. What? GG. What? <laughs> Hashtag confirmed. Again, different context, obviously. Oh, yeah, sure. Are we sure? No. We're not. <laughs> uh, <they> were... <laughs> Worth mentioning, he does actually also say that the dominant is their only remaining cruiser, so it looks like they yeah, the, the the flagship of this particular Holy fleet or right. or the remaining ship at this point is literally called the dominant, and I have no doubt that all the other ships have or did have um, equally uh, tensed names. <laughs> Um, what would be another good one? Oh. The Conquest? <laughs> I mean, if you look at the names of Imperial ships, they're all very, like, macho slash, you know, very, like, aggressive names. And then the Imper- the Rebels have ships named after McDonald's desserts, apparently. Heck yeah! That's what we want! <laughs> A Mon Cal McFlurry, please! <laughs> I'm sorry, the ice cream machine is broken today. Jesus Christ! What's yeah, the I I am still reeling. <laughs> that first comment. Jesus Christ! What is next? Is there gonna? Jeez, my microphone is literally giving me the red light, saying that I'm being too loud. <laughs> What's oh my god? Starship, dom- what's next? Starship dominatrix, and everyone jokes that the guns are called the straps. What's let's, next? Wait until you meet the villain of I Jedi. <laughs> let's be real here. Yeah. Oh god. Her, and also, yes. I feel like Mara Jade would probably name her ship that as a joke. Yeah, any sound I heard. <laughs> yep. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Keep in mind, I I, I yeah. have no problem with whatever kinks people have. This has just hit me like a ton of bricks on top of inside of a truck on top of a freight train. <laughs> on top of the Dominator. <laughs> yes! <Hey-o>. Exactly! <laughs> it's, he's not very subtle, is he? <laughs> No, he's not. And I would like to note that he also keeps his gloves very, very clean and like adjusts them when he's dealing with people, like reminding them. I I am wearing gloves currently. They are made out of leather. Yes. I do have other leather objects that I can take out. I I have plenty of friends who are sex workers and dominatrixes, and this is making me uncomfortable. <laughs> this is making me really uncomfortable. Uh, how do you feel? How do you feel the senators um, might might uh, react to this, though, Jay? Because consider he wears this in business meetings. Well, I mean, it depends. Are they Romans? <laughs> All right, doing a retake of that. Well, it depends. Are they Roman senators? Then yes, they are. Very much into it, but if they're not Roman senators, I have no clue. I think I think they're probably. Oh my god! Probably, probably like some of the the uh, folks are sitting there, like, huh? Well, we know what he does in his spare time, Uh, and the rest of them are like, (laughs) I'm not paid enough for this. (laughs) Oh, that's kinky. <coughs> uh, so of, of note in this chapter we also meet um epi belden who is uh, i think the wife of orn belden the senator uh, mm-hmm. her mind is eroding and it's interesting because it notes that she's only 132 my yeah, mind is eroding has... just <laughs> listening to all this 
But it's interesting because it establishes that due to uh, technological advances, advances or uh, differences in uh, environment and such, humans in the Star Wars universe are actually particularly long lived, even when mm-hmm. they are not Force users. Yeah, because it says she's her her mind was eroding at only one hundred and thirty two, and it mentions her husband is one hundred and sixty four, has a second prosthetic heart, and one foot in the grave. So it's interesting notes here that there's a, there's a good attempt at world building that you know the mm-hmm. especially the wealthy imperial uh, humans have an opportunity to grow, to uh, to grow quite old mm-hmm. uh, and to consider the median age you know to consider one hundred and thirty two. Like a young age is kind of a. a huge I mean, at least to to experience things like uh, dementia or Alzheimer's, yeah. Right. Um, so she she's suffering early cognitive dissonance or not dissonance, cognitive decay. Um. And it's also funny that uh, so so Gariel is the daughter of the prime minister of the planet who is in the meeting, uh, and it mentions that his dignity shamed Narius's posturing. He flicked two fingers against his trouser seam. Placate. Apparently, Belden saw it too, and he sat down slowly, deferring to the Prime Minister. <laughs> so it's like a combina- it's like a combat between different authority figures in the scene, all being done in that very like British like So he was submissive. What happens when Got you get it. a bunch of tops <laughs> in one or uh, you know what? Forget I said anything. I'm just I'm just gonna be over here, um, slowly trying Dying. to wrap my head around what's happening. The best and, part is we haven't well, even gotten to any of the sexually charged scenes in the extended yeah. universe. Oh yeah, what? no, no, no. There are no, honey, no. Um, this is nothing. <laughs> this is just an overly ambitious imperial being a bit too much. Oh my god. Yeah, this is just how politics is. I mean, truthfully, we're making a lot of jokes about it, but really, Narius is not super sexualized in the actual book. Like, it comes no. off as super sexual to us because of the way they're describing him. But he, this scene is not intended to be read as. Governor Narius breaking out the BDSM on everything. It doesn't matter what the author intended. We all know what everyone's thinking. This is what they mean by it didn't age well. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, I mean, you got to consider, though, that the the black gloves and such could um, in some ways be a a callback to um, Darth Vader in the movies, as well as some of the um, Imperial... uh, naval commanders and such uh you oh, know, i just no remembered the war. next chronological yeah. thing after uh if we if we end up doing the bounty hunter stuff next the next books after that the next book after that is the glove of darth vader <laughs> yeah see <laughs> um <laughs> i'm thinking of think of like Orson Krennic yeah yeah one. <laughs> but like just incredibly pompous has to look we were this like the evil but i mean the the other part of the the gloves and such is literally just he is kind of probably a bit of a germaphobe he is i think they actually like, mentioned he's very like yeah fastidious yeah. and kind of yeah. a clean freak yeah they literally say that his gloves have gotten him a reputation for being super fastidious and um particular and he can't get anything scuffed up or anything like that. Uh, so he's, and and you see that too in some of his other physical characteristics that all of his facial features are really really strong, except for his prissy lips. Yes. Like okay, all he needs now is a <laughs> stopwatch, and every high school English teacher on in America would be on this book. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so as the scene goes on we get a little bit of world building about bakura um talking about how bakura fell to the empire mostly because um their internal politics and this is very emblematic of the way the older public would end up being you know mm. described later so it's kind of cool future casting but they had so many like internal political squabbles going on that they could never agree on an effective defensive plan and so mm. when the empire showed up and just steamrolled them they didn't even have anything to put up a fight with so they just fell to the empire, and now everything's sort of being held together. Even though they still have the same governmental system, it's kind of falling together because, or not falling together, but it's it's only functioning 
kind of at like half steam because every time they try to do something, the Empire's like, uh, no, do it this way instead. Well, and uh, it's interesting uh, in terms of world building too, because what's specifically brought up as far as them, uh, the previous Bakuran government, um, which is the Bakuran Corporation, um, disagreeing on things to the point of making it ineffective is actually um, school funding. Mm-hmm. And that uh, right, they, they, they the had been doing schedule. half years, they had been doing two months on, one month off, which is interesting because it also established that the, establishes that they use a month system. Right. Um, and so on and so forth. And then that same attitude of, of not being able to agree on anything and trying out different things for a short term without giving them time to work resulted in them. Uh, losing to the empire quite quickly yeah so and then once the imperial uh government showed up they mentioned that uh imperial peace compensated bakura for the autonomy that it had lost or so gary gary being the short of gary else admittedly limited experience had told her gary had entered the chaos and civil infighting and brought bakura and trade goods onto stellar lanes so again we get a very good picture of what would eventually be sort of the the go-to strategy of the empire coming out of the old republic which is democracy is messy here let's just fix that by making you have no choice but we'll get the you know like the trains will run on time even though apparently the trains didn't run on time and yeah the trains don't run on time but uh the empire comes in and says everything's going to work they run up make it work no you just have to give up your tracks that was bad (laughs) yes they run on tracks too and and sometimes they run on coal that's not and then on Bakura, they run on repulsor lifts. Because Bakura makes repulsor lifts. All right, I'm gonna come. Uh, <laughs> wow, that was that was so like, funny, it's just, like, David. Bombs you made all such around. a funny niche joke that <laughs> all of us Ray, understood because we all... really wants to stay Leave on this Leave David alone. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, you, I am so upset right now. I'm still, re- I'm still reeling. I am still f-ing reeling. I am, I am unhinged. I'm f-ing feral right now. I just had to take my second cough drop since we started this episode. I ran out, so sorry, David. You have a uh, oh, that's fine. Just editing on my end. <laughs> I'm gonna have to do Apologize. some audio balancing to make sure that Jay's on the same volume level as the rest of us. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure I got so loud at some points that my microphone didn't pick it up. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I've I've learned how to turn the game down ever it, since it I accidentally recorded like three hours of uh, Persona Two with my mic gain turned all the way up and blew the microphone out for like three hours. Ooh. Perfect. It was great. but anyhow so this is the um senatorial situation that um leia han chewbacca and luke are going to dive into after they decide what ship to take down for appearances sake right because they're trying to figure out which ship i mean we we don't get to them for a few minutes but they are (laughs) trying to decide what will make the best first impression and they're about to walk into a bickering nest of uh Complaining people who are upset about what's going on, oppressed by a very weird imperial governor, and uh, we are about to do a POV switch back to Dev the Brainwashed up on the Sea Ruby ship, but I think we'll have to save the second half of Chapter 5 for next week because my dog is insisting that he be allowed to go outside to pee. Valid. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm David. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter at LegendsNRCast, I believe. I have not yet memorized my own Twitter handle for that. You can find me on Twitter at AKA Agent Shades, where you can tweet at me to complain if I've given you the wrong Twitter handle for the podcast. And yeah, thanks for listening. Yep. And I'm Chris, and you can find me just around the corner. Just around the river bend. Oof, that was better. Or, or yeah, in the closet in your late bedroom. At night. Like at <laughs> two, three in the morning, I'm always there. Tell your kids. nope uh hey i'm jason and you can pretty much just find me on twitter right now at uh i'm cat you can find me on twitter at seagull soup don't look for me anywhere else you will find me underneath your window late at night throwing walnut chips at you
<laughs> Got him. I'm I'm Sharkray24. You can find me under that username pretty much anywhere. Um, go to my YouTube. I do gaming stuff and other stuff that I've talked about. And look, I'm just I've lost a lot of faith in this series in, in no, the Star no. Wars franchise tonight. No, I just no. am ready for this episode to end. Go to my YouTube. Don't go to my YouTube. I don't care. I I just need to have a week to process. I need to I need to process this. Hopefully, I will have it all processed by next week's episode. But geez, guys, join us next week as we continue the path on which I already know Jay will not survive because I know what's coming, and this is nothing. You ain't seen nothing yet. Uh. <laughs> all right all right well thank you everybody for listening and we will catch you next week adios adios bye <laughs>